Yeah, Father, we just, we recognize. We recognize. God, we turn toward and we realize you're here. And in your presence is fullness of joy. At your right hand, the Bible says pleasures forevermore. God, in your presence is life and is mercy and is grace, is healing. God, in you is all we need. When we don't know, that's all we need. And so, Father, top to bottom, side to side, just do what you do. Father, fill our hearts. Touch our lives. God, we recognize you're here. What a moment. And I pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Go ahead and keep that great place in your heart and find your seat. Glad that you are, um, that you're with us this morning. I think it's going to be a a great morning uh, on your seat where the little communion elements, don't discard that. You're going to need that when we get towards the end of the the message and we'll take communion uh, together today. Uh, Give you a quick update. While I'm doing that, you might want to get a pen or a pencil out. There's some uh, fill in the blanks and you can use the online version of the U-Notes, Y-O-U Notes, um, and then just use... uh, Use your device in order to take notes, and if you learn best by listening, that's great too. Um, last weekend, I, I uh, presented uh, an opportunity for us to do something um, life-changing in Mozambique, Africa. And as a refresher, or if you didn't hear it, Mozambique suffered um, two back-to-back in 30-day Katrina-level storms that hit that country. And it was on the national news, and yet it's so far away that uh, oftentimes we're not even aware something like that is going on. And I'm not over-exaggerating when I say Katrina level. They were devastating storms. To have one, um, imagine what it did to New Orleans, just think back. But then to have another one 30 days later, uh, it's just been devastating. Worst part about it for us and and what we're doing in Mozambique is that our missionaries, Jeff and Nikki Reitz, they minister out in the bush, not in the big cities. So uh, World Relief, the NGOs that are uh, in that part of the world helping the, the bulk, you know, 98 or 99% of the money is going to the, the large metropolitan cities, and the people in the bush are just being forgotten about, for lack of a better way to say it. So the ministry that we do is actually to those people, and we do a lot in the bush, um, educational and feeding and clothing, and uh, obviously uh, churches are planted. Uh, they've planted 200 churches um, uh, since they've, they've been in Mozambique. Here's what we wanted to do. The most pressing need, uh, I, I showed the pictures last week, they've lost their homes, they've lost their infrastructure, uh, they've lost their means to, uh, to, to even make money, and so it's just survival right now. And here, the, the worst thing about this is that I'm standing up saying this, and how do you bring a third world need to a first world people, and it's just so far away? And other than showing pictures and then hoping the Holy Spirit can connect us to that, that's what you can do. So this is not a plea. This is a a bravo and well done. So all I did was just say that last week. Show the pictures, and here's what we are working on. For $65 per kit, we can help a family of four to five to survive for 90 days. And it literally is life and death right now. That's exactly what we're trying to do. Some of it's just water purification. Some of it's mosquito netting. But the, the worst part about what's going on 
is that the, the disease after is going to, to kill tens of thousands of people there. What can we do? So these little kits, these little survival kits that, that we can put together for $65. All I did was just say that. Ah, here's what you did. You gave $33,000 last week uh, to Mozambique. Yeah, let's just... So, uh, let me tell you what, it, that's 507 relief kits times four or five. We're talking making a difference for, you know, 2,000 or, 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 you know, 22, 2,300 people somewhere in that, in that vicinity. And I just wanted to say, well done. If you want to keep doing something about it, um, you know, you can do it online. There's actually a place when you give where you can designate for uh, a particular place um, when it comes to outreach and missions. If you want to do it at the offering boxes, that's fine. We'll continue to receive it. And, and then, again, just to remind you, everything that's given, we have an agreement with them. None of it goes to any type of overhead. It's all going directly into these, these kits right here. So we're not taking anything from it. They're not taking anything from it. It literally is going to, to save lives. That's just the best way to say it. So I wanted to thank you for that. I wanted to thank you for the generosity that our church shows continually. And I want to encourage you, just keep listening to the Holy Spirit because it is making a difference, literally, uh, in the lives of people uh, around the world. Okay, uh, grab your notes and we will, we, will, we will jump into this real quick. It's the final message in a series called All In. And I based it on a pretty familiar uh, passage of Scripture. You, you probably um, have heard this, this Scripture before. I know if you go to church here, I've used it and, and keep coming back to it um, because of the importance of this Scripture. So how do we know like it's more important than any other scripture? Because Jesus said, here's the most important thing. And he makes it really easy for us to just understand priority when it comes to like what, what's the most important. So here's the context. Jesus is asked the question uh, by a, a person, uh, how do I have eternal life? What, what do I need to do to get it? How, how do I get there? And Jesus doesn't give him like, hey, you know, you need to give to this and you need to go to this and you need to act this way. Jesus just goes right to the heart of the matter. Uh, and it's, it's here. Uh, Jesus replied to the person asking the question, uh, you must love the Lord your God with, what's that word? With all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. And then uh, in the same breath, not not going to a different thought, a different message. He connects these two things. So love God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind. And a second is equally as important. So it's on the same level. It's not a minor. It's, it's also a major. Love your neighbor as yourself. And then he just brings it together with this. The entire law, everything in the Bible, everything that's in there, and every demand that the prophets have, been, have given to us uh, are based on these two commandments, to love God with everything and to love your neighbor as yourself. And here's what Jesus is saying. If you do these two things, you've done everything that the Bible teaches. That's it. It all comes down just to those two things. And if we just concentrated on doing those two things, that's, that's what it's about. So all in, what it means to be all in comes from this scripture. How do we love God with all, not with part, not with just emotion or, or just with our time or just with some of our How do we love God with all? How do we go all in? It's a, it's a huge concept. And if you really get serious about it, you really want to do it, then how do you measure all? What does all look like? Is all the same for everybody? 
uh, is, is all um, you know, based on where a person might be in space and time or age or, or, or background. I, I, I think when God says all, all is a pretty simple word. It means, yeah. And you'd have to go to seminary for eight years to mess up all. All is all. It's everything. So how do you do that? And that's what this series has been about and talking about uh, how, how do you go from zero to all? Can you do that in one step? I mean, is that even reasonable to think that way? I don't think so. I think that the relationship that God calls us to is not a moment, but it's a lifetime. And so this cliche, you don't change in a day, you change daily. You, you grow into these things. And even when you are doing good in these things, I think that in, in the relationship with God, he always calls us to more to all. And all is not just simply some sacrificial thing where it's just like, oh, I'm constantly running. I'm constantly trying to give. That all is when your heart is just totally into it. So all can be whatever God wants. You're, I'm all. I'm there. All right. So I want to give a measurement today, another one, a way to measure all. And I'm going to connect it to worship, to worship. So the title is just simply all in worship. And let me just say this real quickly. Uh, this is not a, a message to teach form because I don't think that God is into form. Here's what Jesus said about worship. Those who worship God worship him in spirit and in truth. So as long as your heart is all in, however you do it is okay. And so you could come from an Episcopalian background and maybe your form of worship is to be uh, very just, just like, hey, I'm, I'm all in. You can't tell, but I'm all in. <laughs> And that's okay, because God doesn't look on the outside, he looks on the inside. And maybe you come from a Pentecostal background, and you're like, let me show you what all in is. <laughs> you're not even close to what all in is. And your definition of all in is loud, right? Very loud. Very, hey, there we go. <laughs> whoop, whoop. So, you, it's not a form, and what we don't want to ever teach is form, because form, form quickly becomes law. Yeah. And the law is not what... That's not what God wants on our lives. Jesus is truth and he's freedom and he's life and it's, it's just the heart. So I'm going to take a different tact in trying to teach all in worship. And rather than teach form, let me talk about the idea of heart. So we had a speaker two weeks ago for our staff. We do once a month an all staff where I get uh, everybody that, that is a part of the uh, infrastructure of Jubilee that, that does this uh, vocationally or um, at least with a, a great deal of their time when they volunteer. And I pull them together monthly, and then usually I teach this, and I'm usually teaching something on like how, how, can, how can we go more all in? What does that look like for us uh, because of what we do? And I, I've gone to trying to bring uh, in outside speakers that can bring things from outside in and make us better. And so I, I had a guy a couple of weeks ago named Jim Wilder. He's a Ph.D., and here's his, here, this is the title. He's a neurotheologian. Just the title is like, I mean, a neurotheologian. Here, here's what it is. He takes how God created our brain and puts it in a level to understand that when your brain is a part of your worship, it does this phenomenal, so it's not just your body going through the motion, but your intellect connected and that God designed it that way, a neurotheologian. It was so good and so interesting. He went four hours with us. I don't think I've ever taken as many notes. At some level, some way, I want to find an opportunity 
to expose you and him to you. I don't know if that's a weekend experience. Maybe it's some type of a workshop. I think you'd get a lot out of it. Here's what I took away from the message that I'll, I'll tuck in today. He talked about, when it comes to the brain, the brain from the time you, you are born uh, is, is looking to attach. It's looking for where you belong. Who wants you? Where do you fit? And so much comes out of that. And it starts at the earliest of age. So those of you who are our parents who have an infant or have, you know, it's now they're, they're past that, but you can, you can look back and grandma and grandpas, think about this. Uh, infants, from the time they, they become aware at just a few weeks old, one of the things that you can do, you can stare into their eyes and smile and they'll reflect back to you what they see. Yes or no? And you recognize that a, a baby at four weeks old or five weeks or six weeks old, they begin to attach based on your ability to connect with them. And listen to this right here. The brain attaches over two things, joy or fear. God designed it so that you would attach over joy. But if the absence of joy is there, then we attach over fear. So that the same... Uh, that same thing that if there's not a smile to a baby and a deep, I love you and I, I can't believe how fortunate I am to have you in my life, there are people who see a child as nothing more than an inconvenience. And, and here, the brain recognizes before the face responds. So that, how, how about this? I, I'll give you the first fill-in. This goes where I want. You attach to whoever is joyful to see you. You attach to whoever is joyful to see you. Let me put it in my words. How about this? Whose eyes sparkle when they see you? Whose eyes sparkle when they see you? So here's what I know, that if you're married and you're in a good marriage, you still look at each other with great joy when you see your spouse coming your way. And here's how you know that the marriage is going the wrong direction. When your spouse looks at you like, and then changes it to this, the brain picks it up quicker than the face can change. And you know, you know when you come into a room with the people you work with, you know whether you're wanted or not, yes or no. Regardless of what they say and how they act, you know. You know it in a marriage. You know it uh, from the time you, you begin to, to connect and attach. You begin to develop the, the philosophy of life of, where do I fit? Who are my people? Uh, and that struggle of not knowing who you're to attach to, if there's rejection there, imagine the trauma that comes. And then the constant trying to figure out where I fit. So let me just uh, do it this way. Um, maybe you struggle with attachment. Maybe like me, by the way, this doesn't make me special. It probably makes me average more than anything else. So I struggled with attachment early on. I had a father when I was three who just simply left the family. And my mom met a guy named John Leach who literally adopted me, but he was killed in a car accident when I was 11. And then she met a guy who was not a good guy. He, he abused alcohol, and when he did, he took it out on his family. So the attachment issue for me, at with my mom it happened, but with that, that, that male figure. I struggled with that. So then you get married, and you have children, and it doesn't just magically disappear, does it? So now you, you bring into those relationships what you, 
what you saw. We're products a lot of times of what we've seen. Environment does have something to do with it. It's that nurture thing. And so how, how do you do that? And I've had to learn how to attach. It, what wasn't done natural, naturally for me and should have been the thing that I, I just automatically felt, but I've had to learn to practice. So like if you struggle with that, I'm just gonna, this isn't really, it's an addendum to the message, but just for those who might struggle with this, and it's not male, it can be male, female, young or old. If you struggle with attachment to your spouse, to your children, to your grandchildren, to the people that are close in your life, so let, let me just, here, here's, these are the things that I do that I've learned how to attach to them. The, the first is probably, just look in their eyes, man. Just the eyes are the window to the soul. Stare into their eyes, and they might go, what are you doing? <laughs> I'm attaching to you. Don't say that. Don't say that. But with my children, my adult children, all of my children are grown. My oldest will be 35 uh, in just a couple of months, and my youngest are 26. So they're all grown. I still, when my children come into the room, I still stop what I'm doing, and I look into their eyes. When my wife comes in, when we're, whatever we're, I will look into her eyes because I'm always constantly trying to attach. Smile. The greatest thing that you can do to attach to someone, I know this seems oversimplistic, and it is an addendum. It's not the message, but for some people, we just struggle with this. Here's, why won't someone attach with me? Because you won't attach with them. Smile at them. Just smile and watch what happens. Man, I still kiss my girls on the cheek. They're adult lady, and I'm sure they think, why does dad do this? Because I won't let them go. They're mine, and I want them to know that. I still hug my sons. I still touch them when I walk by them on the shoulder. I want them to know, and they have priority in my life. If I'm in a meeting, my staff knows if my kids or my grandkids need something, I'm interruptible. It's just the way it is. Why? Because 20 years from now, they'll still be the ones who are with me. We prioritize who we want to attach to. Sorry, that's just an addendum. You attach to whoever is joyful to see you. If you believe that's true. And let me just do this. How many of you believe you attach to whoever's joyful to see you? It's just simple. Okay, okay, okay. Listen, listen. How does God see you? Stop for a minute. So become present to his presence right now. Because so often we just live our lives so disconnected. We, God's out there. Yes, I'm here at church this morning. Now, I, I, I believe, Pastor, I believe. But how does God, how does he see you? Does God smile at you? So I made this statement teaching a, a thing on families years and years ago. And, it, and it's, it just, I think it slipped by a lot of people. Listen to me. Listen. You are living for or from the Father's smile. And if you're living for the smile, everything you do is performance to get God to smile at you. And the problem is you haven't recognized that he's always smiling at you. So you live your life in a constant go, go, do, do, perform, perform. It's never enough. And I bet you don't enjoy. Here's what I know. When you don't think someone is smiling at you, ultimately, you don't enjoy being with them. And while you may understand that I want to go to heaven, so I need to kind of keep it in my universe, you're not close. So how does this connect to the idea of worship? Worship, worship is the invitation to come close to the one who's smiling at you. Yeah. Worship is the opportunity not to simply be in the same atmosphere, but it's to be intimate face-to-face -face with the one who is smiling at you. So if you really felt, 
If your prayers always center around all that is wrong, God, forgive me for, God, I'm sorry about, God, i got to change this. Do you ever consider, what is it that God's applauding in your life? What is it that God is pleased about with you? What does God like about you? And if that seems like, uh, Pastor, that's almost like, you know, you're missing the heart of the good news. The good news is that he loves you. And I'll say it one more time. In my 21st year here, that you can know it here, but until you get it here, the distance from here to here can be miles apart. And then the way you live and what you enjoy about serving God, man, they get so convoluted and they're so far apart. And you want to go to heaven for sure. And you know, yeah, technically God loves me. But how about this? The enemy works overtime in your life to detach so that you can't stay attached. And he does it in your relationship with the Father, but he also does it amongst us, doesn't he? (laughs) There's much to say there, but... How does the Father see you? Does he smile at you? Because you you attach to the one who is joyful to see you. Do you know that the Bible says, listen to this, that God dances over you. We think of him as almighty, all-powerful, all-knowing. We think of him as the all-in-all. But do you think of him as the one who also picked out your personality, is not ashamed of you, rejoices when he thinks about you. There's a scripture in the Old Testament that says your name is tattooed on the palm of his hand. Tattooed. I know some of you are like, that cannot be God. But maybe your kids know something you don't know. (laughs) You attach to whoever is joyful to see you. It's the way that God designed the brain, worship. Listen, worship is the invitation to attach at the one who's been smiling over your life every day. And how close could you be if it was really true that God's inviting you to come close to his smile? Here's the second one. Identity is formed through attachment. So part of how you see yourself and part of what you look like and part of Part of your identity, who you are, is formed through what you attach to. So let me prove it to you. When you're a child, kids are desperately always looking for friends. And when they find friends who say, you belong here, yes or no, they become like those people. So when I was raising my twins, they played sports, and jocks looked a particular way. They cut their hair a particular way. So they came home one day with this haircut. And I said to them, what are you doing? And their response to me was, hey, I'm my own person. You and 500 other people who dress exactly like you dress. They wear the same jeans. And they wore the same letterman jacket. And they went to the same. Your identity comes from what you attach to. Okay, so that's kids. Let's go a little bit further. Uh, Let's let's just look at this. Uh, You go to college, and you'll join a sorority or a fraternity, and you very much will identify with those people. And their station in life and where they go, many times that's... Or where they don't go. 
kind of sets a precedent for what you do, yes or no. Uh, And then how about these things right here? Did you ever think about this? The career you pick, where you work, and if you fit into where you work, you very much become, your identity is in that thing right there. You identify with it. You become part of that thing. Whether it's an engineer, a policeman, a doctor, a teacher, a person who just simply is an entrepreneur, whatever, you identify with those people and you take on the characteristics and the identity of them, the neighborhood that you live in. If you're part of the military, you do that. How about this? The church that you go to, if they become your people, then you will act like those people. Did you just hear? I know some of you are like, oh my gosh. What? <laughs> Look around. Yeah. You want me to say it though? We want you. How do you know when you've attached to a group of people, they become your people? You don't use the term them, you use the term us or we. Do you hear me? How do you know you've attached? They're your people. And if you're in that in-between place, how do we figure out the attachment part of it? Identity is formed through attachment. Almost immediately, from the youngest time, God created it that we want to know who we can attach to, who accepts me, who am I a part of, and what we become a part of, what we look at, what we attach to, we begin to look like that thing right there. This is important. Worship helps us attach to God. The point of worship is not simply to sing a song, to commit to a form. The point of worship is that when we're done, we're more like Jesus than we've ever been. Oh my goodness, maybe I need to... like. I'll say it one more time. This is a really good place to go, yes, I want that. The point of worship is that when we're done, we become more like Jesus. More like Jesus. The goal is to be more like Jesus. What we attach to forms our identity, and our identity helps to control what we do, what we look like, how we think. When we worship, really worship, worship in spirit and truth, we're looking at the Father. We're attaching to the Father. We're experiencing the the love of Jesus. We're experiencing the peace of the Holy Spirit. We're experiencing the smile of the Father, and we become like that which we attach to. Literally, you know you've attached when they become your people. When you speak of the worship in your church, is not that's how they do it, but how I do it. That's not their preference. That's my preference. When you give up that I was raised an Episcopalian and we didn't do it that way, and you begin to say, I am a member, a part of, a connection to the body at Jubilee, and here's what we do. Now there's power because there's agreement, and in agreement, we move forward. Without agreement, we just stay in that place where we never... How about this? Let me take it outside of the realm of church. In my lifetime, I'm 55. In my lifetime, I don't remember our country being more divided than it is today. Now, I'm not saying that that... I'm sure during the Civil War. I'm sure during civil rights. But I know in my lifetime... It's never been more divided than it is today. Can most of you agree with that statement? Okay, if what I'm saying about attachment and how we become one through that is true, think about this. We don't have a political problem. We have a spiritual problem in our country today. This is what Jesus taught. A house divided against itself cannot... A house divided against itself cannot... Think about it. And it's not an idea we just need to acquiesce then. No, no. We need to have agreement on what? 
Hmm. Worship helps us attach to God and to each other. Hebrews chapter 10, verse 25. Maybe you've heard this verse before. Pastors generally use it in order to justify um, why churches need to keep going. But in light of, of what I'm teaching about worship and how, how we need each other and we're to, we're to attach to each other through attachment to him, it's, it's, it's one big thing. It's not some individual. So people will say, hey, uh, to worship God, all I need to do is just uh, get in my car and turn on worship music. Or I, I'll go up to the mountains and I'll just commune with God. For sure, you can do that. But you're missing the point of community. So look at this. Some people have gotten out of the habit of, what's the word? For but we must not do that. We should keep on encouraging each other, especially since you know that the day of the Lord's coming is getting closer. Here's why we do this. We're looking to connect to people who believe what we believe, not politically, but in Jesus. They're wanting to become like Jesus, so they're encouraging us to become like Jesus, and we want to be like Jesus, so we're encouraging them to become like Jesus. And in the power of that attachment is explosive, supernatural God stuff. God stuff. You like that, Johnny? God stuff. See, I'm not a neurotheologian. Thank God. Yeah. Here's the third one. Attachments. Listen to this. Attachments are meant for eternity. Not for a season, but for eternity. Now, that doesn't mean that everyone you meet, you're too attached to. Thank God. You agree with that? I mean, thank God. We're not called to everyone you meet, you've got to attach to. Uh, The people that you're thinking about think that way about you too, by the way. So... Attachments are meant for eternity. Okay, so let let me just expand your mind here. Jesus, listen to this. Jesus is asked the direct question, what is eternal life? What is it? And and the the asker, um, he wants to know about heaven. But Jesus doesn't say eternal life is heaven. Jesus goes after this much deeper issue. Look at this. Uh, This is the way to have eternal life, or this is what it looks like. That they would know you, the only true God, and that they would know Jesus Christ, the one you sent to earth. Okay, look at me real quick. Let me make sense of this. This is eternal life, that you're in this relationship with God that begins here, and just keeps on going when you get there. Heaven should not feel out of place for you. You should be at home when you get to heaven. In fact, I think the thing that you will probably say at maybe more than at any other place you've ever experienced, you will say, finally, I'm home. I've come home. I'm welcomed here. I'm wanted here. Heaven is not sterile. Heaven is not quiet. Heaven is rejoicing. Heaven is the place where the smile is huge and the welcome is great and you belong. And that doesn't mean we have a death wish to get there because we're here. But when we get there, heaven is not some new strange thing. It's a continuation of the thing you started here now. Now, 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 listen. So we can agree with that with God, but what about with each other? 
So do the relationships we have here, are they for there too? Or is heaven someplace where your disembodied spirit floats on a cloud eating grapes and playing a harp? What does heaven look like to you? My God, if that's it, I don't want to go there. I don't like grapes that much. You need to get this. You need to get this. You need to get this. Because we treat relationships as though they're very disposable. We'll change them like we change a garment. And we'll throw people away, or we get thrown away, dismissed. How divided are we? If we can't do it at this level in here, how will we ever do it out there? I don't know if you heard what I just said. Luke 16, 9, Jesus again. Here's the lesson. Here's the lesson. Use your worldly resources to benefit others and make friends. Then... When your possessions are gone, they will welcome you to and... What's the word? Let's all say it together. You will be welcomed into and... Okay, so he's taking this concept that we just learned. Here's what eternal life is, that they would know you and your son. So we know him here, and it just continues there. And then he's using, use what you have in this life to make friends. Do good with it. So that when you get there, those people will want to welcome you into their houses. Is that too much for you to understand? Is that like, what is heaven to you? Theologically, what is it? What will you do? Sleep? Relax? Is heaven a lazy boy for eternity? What is heaven? We know little about what the Bible says about heaven. I'm trying to expose you to you. So what we did in Mozambique. Those people on earth will never thank us. But can you imagine in heaven? When you get an invitation, hey man, can you come here for a second? Because I want to tell you what you did for my family. Is, is that too far-fetched for you? What is heaven to you? What does it look like? Why would you want to go? Well, I, I don't like heat. <laughs> That's the best answer? I'm being facetious, but what is heaven to you? What you do here matters there. What you do here has an effect there. You'll be welcomed into it, welcomed joyfully. And the connection, it's not some new, it's a continuation in a perfect place. Worship helps us to attach to God and to the other people that we identify with. You're attached when they become your people. Learn to think about relationships in light of eternity. How about this? I'll say it one more time. The enemy works overtime in our lives to detach us from God and especially from each other. The original lie, theologically, here it is. The original lie that was told to the man and the woman was this. You can treat God the way you want to, and you can treat each other the way you want to. And what happened is division between us and God and between us and the other. Yes or no? So the original lie that was told that was believed then is still being told today. You can interact with God any old way. You can turn your back on him and there's no cost to it. Who cares? And you can treat people like it doesn't matter. That's a lie. That's a lie. That's a lie. Quit empowering the liar. Stop it right now. Abundant life that Jesus promises is connected in the idea of how we do this part of our lives. 
are you attached? And are you attached to each other? And what do you want to do about that? And worship is one of those things. It helps to level the playing field. It helps to create an atmosphere where we can come into agreement. The one thing we agree, listen, our church is so eclectic. Oh, how many times have I said this? So eclectic. I've got Catholics in here. I've got nominal people of no faith in here. I've got people who went to high church. They're, they're Episcopalians, and their mother was an Episcopalian, and all the way back generations. And I've got Lutherans in here who are just like, you know, how did I get here? And just, I mean... <laughs> And how do you bring that great group together so that we can move forward and not just like, you know, kind of like, how I do this for an hour and a half. But how do we, how do we move forward? How do we, how, do we, how do we attach? So we have to have an agreement. Here's the one thing I know we can all agree on. We can agree on the fact that we love Jesus and want to move forward in that. Yep. So that we drop then the pretense that it has to be a particular way and we go fully with our heart all in. So that you can stand there and just, hey, man, I just love God. And, <laughs> and both can be okay. <laughs> so I'm from the South originally, and there's a saying in the South that we don't hide our crazies. We put them on the front porch so everybody can see them. So that if you want to be expressive, we welcome you here. And if you don't, we welcome you here. And instead of like the people in the back judging the ones in the front and the ones in the back judging the front and the judging, why, can't we, why don't we love each other? Why don't we attach to each other? Why don't we say that our first and foremost po purpose is to populate heaven, evacuate hell, and love Jesus? Ah, ah. Okay, last one. This is maybe the most important. Listen to me. Really good. Real love overcomes wrong attachments. So you attach to joy or fear. And if you didn't have the choice on the joy, somehow you got attached to fear. How do you know where you're at? So listen to me real carefully. Brene Brown is an author. She's a brilliant woman who deals a lot on relationships and how relationships works. And she has a a statement, a teaching, and she calls it this, foreboding joy. Listen to me. I know, I know it's an oxymoron. Foreboding joy. But if you didn't attach to joy, you attached to fear. And then God comes into the picture and he begins to work in your life and you'll find yourself in this weird place where you'll have joy, but in the back of your mind, it can all get taken away. So listen to me. The wrong move on your part and it's going to get snatched away. The wrong decision on the wrong day, and it all crumbles. Um, for me, so a dad who, who rejected just left, and then one who died, and then one who was not what he said he was. So for me, foreboding joy looks like this. Man, I get into this place with God, and I see his blessing in my life, and I, I, it is so practical, and it is so good. But in the back of my mind, one of three things could happen at any moment. He'll leave. Someone will die. Or it'll turn out to be not what I thought it was going to be. I'm trying, man. And it's not for everybody. And if you attach to joy, you don't know how lucky you were. You don't know how blessed you were. 
And here's the difference. You may be under the curse from your dad, but your children don't have to be with you. Yes. It's true, man. It's true. So that, listen, listen to the statement one more time. Real love overcomes wrong attachments. Let me read you one of the more powerful scriptures in the Bible. This is from 1 John chapter 4, verse 18. And the apostle writes these words. Um, Such love, perfect love, mature love, all those words fit into this. Such love has no because perfect love expels all Look at me. Instead of trying to deal with fear, attach to God. Because His love, as it fills your life more and more every day, leaves no room for fear to have root. And you can spend all of your time talking about all of the reasons why you're fearful. You can spend thousands, tens of thousands of dollars on medications and on people who try to tell you and convince you that you shouldn't be fearful. Let me tell you the real cure for it. Leave no room in your life for it. Perfect love pushes out all fear. So that when this becomes the thing you attach to more than anything else, there's no, it's like a shield in a way that when fear is shot at you, it can't find a landing place any longer. Fear is one of those things you don't know how it twists you. Foreboding joy. You have joy, but you can't fully enjoy it because... Tell me why. What could happen? What's the lie that's being told to you? It's really not that way. You're not really who you present to everybody. God, this is the great news, man. He knows everything about you, and he loves you anyway. He knows that you're going to blow it, and he still smiles at you. Listen to me. Listen to me. Listen to me. The Bible says that he remains faithful to us when we are unfaithful to him because that's who he is. He'll never change his mind. He'll never slap you with the back of his hand. He'll never turn and walk away. He'll never leave you. He'll never forsake you. He won't have a bad day. It's not based on what you do. It's based on who he is. And if you can get to this place... And that's why it's never in a day, is it? Here is the struggle and the opportunity. Mature love causes right attachments. When we worship, we become like that which we attach to. This. Now let's do it real quick. There's two parts to it. The the cellophane on the top. Pull back. And take the wafer. And then pull back the foil to expose the juice and hold both of them. Don't take them individually. See, this is a reinforcement of community and identity. Okay, how do you know that everything that I just said is true and not my opinion? How do you know that I just don't have some pie-in-the-sky, blue-sky slant on 
our relationship with God. This is the proof. I'm not making the promise. Jesus made the promise. So you don't even need to trust me right now. Trust the one who made the promise. Here's the promise. This is my body broken for you. It's the proof that I love you, that I'm giving all in for you, and that I'll never change my mind. There is no going back. If you need to attach in a greater way, take it into yourself. Jesus then lifted the cup, and he said to his disciples, this, this is my blood, and it represents, Molly, it represents a new covenant. Covenant means promise, literally. Put the word promise in there. This is my new promise. It's a better promise than the old promise. The old promise was, if you do this, then I'll do this. The new promise is, I love you. I love you. And I'll never change my mind about that. So that when we take this into ourselves, Jesus says, remember me. What are we remembering? His promise. That everything I just told you is absolutely true. The Father is smiling at you. If you will allow a greater attachment to have in your life, you'll become more like Jesus. And in that relationship, it chases out the stuff that shouldn't be there. We do this because when we get to heaven, this will not be weird for us. We'll have been practicing this for many years by the time we get there. The first act in heaven is the marriage supper of the Lamb where Jesus said, I won't drink of the fruit of the vine until I do it with you in my Father's house when you get there. On that day, you might finally believe me that Jesus is smiling at you. He's smiling at you. Let's drink. So our worship team has put together a particular uh, song, and it's full rather than just one or two people um, closing us. This is, uh, you can come get it. It's in particular to... Um, to this experience. And so I want you to do this. I'd like you to stand to your feet right now. And five minutes from now, you'll be in your car and on your way and into your day doing whatever you're, you're going to do. But right now, in this moment in time, we have a chance to attach. We have a chance to come near and smile. We have a chance to, in agreement with other people, that we want to be like Jesus. We have a chance chance to enjoy real community and it's not form but it is on purpose and so with an all in with your heart and however that manifests let's take this moment and attach to our father and to each other